top of the day trash pandas welcome back to another episode of hot garbage this is your host misha and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host buddha badass and today we have such a good episode oh my gosh but first we have to give a shout out to vanessa give her that love girl yeah Damn. <laughs> She wrote us this beautiful review, and we just love our listeners. It almost brought tears to my eyeballs, this review. Listener that became a loyal listener. Yes. And Bizlint binge. I've got to get that word down. It's one of those <laughs> ones. I get, them, I get my mouth uh, confounded. Anyway, binge listeners are some of my favorite. I'm a binge watcher of Netflix and I'm a binge watcher of Hulu. Yeah. And so if you guys want me to pay and sponsor for you guys too and be a spokesperson, go ahead and send that over. I will go ahead and start saying the, uh, a couple of those commercials on the TV show. Uh, but yeah, so I love those people who are like me, who gets with their family and who mm-hmm. sits down and just hits it back to back. Yeah. And honestly, that's when you know if somebody really gets good quality stuff, mm-hmm. if you can watch it back to back. Yeah. If you watch like three episodes or something and the first episode is funny and then they seem like they lose it by like mm-hmm. third or fourth, mm-hmm. you can see it really quickly when yeah. you guys watch. Yeah. Or do, they're doing like the same jokes or they're being like over, overly repetitive of something. That's something that when you binge watch, it, it stands out. Yeah. Well, thank you. She's we're, He's about to read this wonderful review. It yes, was long from, and it was beautiful. It's long, you guys. So all of us stand together. Yeah. She is a lengthy worded woman, but we appreciate we it. We appreciate it. I love it. So this is Vanessa Wait, L. Wait, stop. You didn't read the beginning. The beginning is the most oh, important. Oh, the beginning. The, the, the top part of it. Yes. Uh, someone's already read this review, apparently. So top of the day to your Nisha and Buddha badass. Aww. And she used money signs for Booty Badass. I think I'm going to do that from now on. She's just changed my name right now. Yeah. Uh, This is Vanessa L. from Dallas, Texas. I give you five beautiful stars on Spotify and here in the subject line as well. I recently joined the Hot Garbage Facebook group, too. I heard about your podcast on another true true crime podcast, actually, and I'm so mad at myself for not keeping a note about it. I've wrecked my brain trying to remember the podcast that recommended yours so that I could let you know, but I figured it was either morbid or murder, mystery, and makeup. Yay. Anyway, I listen to tons of true crime podcasts, but consistently follow about seven weekly hot garbage now. Oh, okay. She said she's... she Including. She, I consistently follow about seven weekly, including Hot Garbage Now. There it is. Yay. Since hearing about the podcast three weeks ago, I've already binged all the episodes. Love it. I love how Nisha is the true crime expert and Buddha is here with his sweet, funny, ghetto, fabulous flair and insights. He may not ever know the subject or your podcast every week, or know every serial killer story. But I love how Buddha will always give his two cents and provide a pretty damn good analysis of the crime at the end. I love the banter. It feels like y'all are brother and sister sometimes, like when Buddha tells you to slow down because your reading's too fast, or when he just talks shit about how she puts the stories together. Nisha will come back and ask, do you want to do the research and tell the stories then? Followed by a quick, very, uh, followed by a very quick no. Too funny. (laughs) That episode, the episode, no, that episode of the Hillside Strangler Part 2, Buddha had me cracking up about the painting of the bear you have in your room. OMG. Too funny. I love how that was the first time at your house calling you Batman with your secret lair. And I was telling the truth, y'all. 
Uh, Y'all, so funny, and I love listening, so looking forward to hundreds more episodes. I do have a couple of story suggestions, which I'm sure you're likely heard about, but I would love your... I would love you... Your take care of them? Take on them. I would love your take on them. Okay, there it is. The first is Tamala Horsford. I'm not good with names. Tamala Tamala Horsford. Horsford? Uh Uh-huh. The lady that got killed at the slumber party. Horsford. I'm going to be that newscaster that has practiced that off in the corner for a second. (laughs) But Tamala Horsford, who was killed during the adult sleepover party, and the other Israel, and the other is Israel Keys. His story it just really shook me. Let us know if there are if, if they were on your list already or what you think. I appreciated getting these stories out there, which have some have which some haven't had the media attention they deserve. So thank you for your hand at work. I plan on becoming a Patreon once this is all set up. Oh, that's so good. Isn't she sweet? She is awesome. Vanessa's awesome. And she's also very active on our Instagram page as well. So thank you so much. Like listeners like that, just all our listeners. We love our listeners. Uh, Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do, girl. Next time I'm going to have to read a review like that like two times over before I just jump on the doggone thing. Well, I sent it to you. You did send it to me. I read it once and then I was drinking. (laughs) And then then I went over it one more time again this morning. In, but I'm gonna like no I'm gonna get more serious about it because I want to be more fluent for reading for our pages yes I was like are you drinking while you're reading these reviews N- well yeah. of course I'm drinking every time we start this show I'm freaking drinking <laughs> what is that anyways <laughs> as you take a sip I girl think, I think Buddha might have a problem over here as you are drinking the same thing I'm drinking <laughs> So, anyways. my problem is I have friends that encourage me to drink. <laughs> anyways, on to the episode now mm-hmm. because we actually have a different episode, right? Because because this okay. is a this is a guest episode. We have mm-hmm. a very special guest coming on, but it's a little bit different because I'm gonna break down the story and then we're gonna bring the guest on towards the tail end of it. And the reason is is because our guest today is Leon Benson, mm-hmm. and I don't know a lot of people know his story or don't know his story, but basically, long story short. He's a man that was convicted. He was serving 25 years for a crime he didn't commit. And, you know, he has, since he's been released, he got released from prison in March. He's been all over news, all over the media. Just his story is kind of all over the place. And he, I was talking to him, and he's like, he's so exhausted of just kind of just breaking down the whole story. So I'm going to break down the story. And then, you know, we're going to come in with questions and stuff when he comes on. Mm. Yeah. So okay. I know, Buddha, you're going to have questions for him as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so this is what, but before we get into the episode, this is scary because I actually, this whole thing is going to be about, you know, eyewitness testimony. And you would think that if someone or a crime happens, if someone's standing there and they saw exactly what happened, you know, that's a slam dunk or that's the best way. And honestly, that's the worst way to convict somebody. So I have some stats here. After watching CSI. Yeah. So I have some stats here. It says in the United States, it is estimated that between four to six percent of those incarcerated did not commit the crimes they are serving time for. And then it says one of the main causes of wrongful convictions is eyewitness misidentification. Four to six percent. That's yeah. better than I thought, actually. Really? Yeah. So it says, despite a high rate of error, as many as one in four stranger eyewitness identifications are wrong. That's really, really high. We. I mean. 
if you think about it, I mean, I watched the Chinese connection, mm-hmm. and even Asians can't tell Japanese and Chinese apart. Right, and that, yeah, and this is I'm glad you said that because it goes into you know because when you get into cross racial identification, it gets even worse. Yeah, and so I'm glad that I researched this because I used to think like you know how like I know all of us have heard stories where you know for example someone will get assaulted or somebody will get raped or something, and then they'll automatically like say it's the wrong you know the wrong person and a lot of people think oh that's just racism or they're being racist and I really had to educate myself to know and you know after researching this case is not always it's not racist at all it's just if you're a victim and something has happened to you right mm. you're already distraught about what happened you don't necessarily remember every last thing about the person you're going to remember what stood out so whether they had dreads or they had tattoos or they had you know a grill or they had whatever was their identification you're that's going to stand out to you right. so it does make sense for example like if a white woman gets like assaulted by let's say a black man if a whole bunch of black men are in a lineup for example she can accidentally misidentify and say this is the guy that did it and he's five five but the guy that assaulted her is six foot two because it's like that's cross-racial identification and a lot of people are not good with cross-racial identification they're not i have never heard of that term cross-racial identification Mm -hmm. but i love it yeah that's you know shout out to ebony k williams because i listened to her podcast holding court so she actually talked me that word right oh yeah. my gosh new word of the day yeah cross racial identification mm-hmm. so mm. yeah so i, I feel intelligent that. just saying that Pop yeah. neck around. <laughs> right and i learned too it's not just you know white it's any race most mm-hmm. races are they don't know like how to identify a Another different race. race yeah everybody kind of like looks the same typically because you're not raised around them you know you don't know mm-hmm. and then you add that and you're in a traumatic experience or you're sitting there witnessing something all of a sudden you know the same man that has tattoos on his face looks like the other man it just right. that's just, just becomes how it is. the rock yeah <laughs> Exactly. You're saying if you saw someone with a tattoo on the face, some ones do that all the time. Right. So the fact that he, you know, partially, it just, you will be able to eat easily. Mm-hmm. When he walks in the room, be like, can you smell? That's the guy that raped me. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's really terrible. It's terrible for the victim and it's terrible for the person that's in prison, you know? And so this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Leon Benson's story right now. Mm, he's part of the four to 6%. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, he's had a long road and I cannot wait to get him on here to talk to him. Mm. So I don't know much about his childhood, but I do know that he grew up in Flint, Michigan. So his nickname was always Detroit because that's where he's from. But his name was not always Detroit. His name was Detroit. That's his nickname. That's not what his name was on his birth certificate. Well, I said his name is Leon Benson, but his nickname is Detroit. I mean, it wasn't always. Oh, my freaking. You know what? When he came out the womb, wasn't nobody calling him Detroit (laughs) because he was already there. I... I can't stand you. Okay. But at some point in his life, people started calling Very him. Very early in his life, he received the name Detroit. Detroit. Yes. That's what you say. Mm-hmm. So he ended up moving to downtown Indianapolis in um, 1995 because what happened was one of his uncles had hooked him up with like a dry painting, you know, like a dry painting and a wall job, you know, where he paint walls. But for some reason, that job ended. I don't know why, but it left Leon really needing cash. And so his mother actually had sold drugs like when he was growing up. So he had been around that environment. Like so, Amigo's grandma. Well, maybe. Uh. <laughs> I mean, no, they always rap about that. Yeah. Said the grandma, somebody sold drugs. Uh-huh. Mama told me 
Yeah. Sell work. You don't know. Oh, you know what? It's just like that Griselda Blanco. And I go back to women's empowerment. You men, you guys, we walk so you guys can run. That goes back to what I was saying. What, girl? Okay. Yeah. You are warping this into something else. <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah, let's keep going, right? So he does start selling drugs in Indianapolis. And, you know, so for him, it just came natural because he had always been around it. You know, he automatically started making a lot of money and he was going to use this to get out of poverty because he actually was doing music as well. So he was like, well, when I get enough money, you know, I'm going to, you know, buy, get some studio time and I'm going to, you know, build up myself a record label. This is what he had planned for himself. Mm-hmm. So he used to... You know, I'm thinking of this. Your walking was... A family of drug dealers to help build up her son to be a better drug dealer? You know what? Let's look great into our future. <laughs> Keep going, though. It just hit me. It just, like, hit me like a piece of light. Like, like wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> hey, Griselda Blanco did it. I mean, th- does it make it good? Uh, she handed her sons a whole empire. Off of cocaine. And they're all dead now. Oh. I mean, what are you promoting at this moment? And they're all dead now. They're all dead now. Was that something great that her mother handed to them? Well, no. I mean, it wasn't great, but maybe like the the grandchildren now, I'm sure they're not running a drug empire, but maybe they can still live off of that. Maybe they're living in secret service because even though they're not in the cartel or in the drug stuff, people are still out to eliminate their family like the people Uh, of Wakanda type of shit. You're only looking at the negative part of things. I'm just looking at life. (laughs) <laughs> like like this is the realism of it all like if you are a son of al capone you go hide yeah. did you ever have you ever seen like people take over uh the uh, uh, empires over in, in, in uh africa mm-hmm. when they take over the, the presidency and they, they kill everybody yeah. they don't just kill the mom they don't just kill the person that's the president they kill your husband they kill your kids they kill your next of kin yeah they're gonna kill everybody they not playing with you. Yeah. And that's the thing of how you would need to do a royalty. You've seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, I love Game of Thrones. You I can't mean, just I... kill the king and think it's over if you right. want to take the throne. Yeah, you got to kill all of the, the heirs. Right, and all of the people that are loyal. Yeah. Like, did you like the king? Yes, I did. Slice his throat. <laughs> I there remember it is. that. Yeah. Damn. So there was a specific place. So he used to, you know, object in a specific place. And let me tell you guys kind of like the area. By the way, uh, let me stop here because I forgot to tell you guys that a lot of this information I got from this podcast called Suspect. And it's um, Five Shots in the Dark Season 3. Because I'm giving you guys a brief overview. But I heard about this case from this podcast. So if you really, really want a breakdown... It's eight episodes of just this case, and it's going to be a wider view because you have the detectives talking, you have journalists talking, Leon's attorneys is going to talk about it. So that way you guys can actually get nine hours of this. So I just wanted to tell everybody this. How much did you just get paid for that little clip? Well, I didn't get paid for it. That was, I, almost, that but, was almost like scripted, right? Well, there. I do want to say shout out to Matt uh, Matt Share because he's a journalist and his podcasts are so good. Not only have I listened to season three, but I've listened to all the other seasons. So every season he comes back with a different case. It's so good. Did we just go into another commercial? No, his podcast is just so good. And I want to tell everybody, like, they need to go listen to that podcast because it's a really, really good, good podcast. And it follows him from when he's in prison and then when, you know, when he gets out. It's just, it's great. It does sound good. Yeah, it's good. Nine hours of this. So this is where, and this case just flabbergasted me. Mm. It flabbergasted me. So that's why I want to break down the area that he used to sell dope in. It was a very rundown area. Like, 
and so it had a bunch of you know ran down apartment complex low income apartment complexes liquor stores and then on the corner there was a gay club mm. like on the, in the corner of it mm. and there was this main yeah so it, it it was really random because i was like oh it's like this whole neighborhood and then just on the Gangsters, corner there, drug dealing liquor stores and a gay club and a gay club yeah and uh, is that a going trend because that's the same thing that happened around the 90s when he was talking about jeffrey dahmer and he went over to the hood and he was in the gay stuff uh, and there's some gay dudes was it a lot of dl black guys in the 90s i don't know i heard it's a high it's a high statistical number that if a guy has been in jail for more than about a year to two years it is like over 90 percent chance he's committed a homosexual act mm, because so they need the, sex they need something they need especially something. Being, being in america and sex is everywhere yeah. and so you're being sexualized even on tv you're getting horny yeah so is it was the white man aware that gay black men was out there before we was aware? Nah, I don't because know. it seems like it seems like you reading a lot of these articles. I'm learning this only from these murder articles too. Yeah. It was so secret uh-huh. that there was a. It sounded like there was a prominent DL thing going on with gangster black men. Damn. Yeah, I don't know. That's a. I, I wish somebody could. If anybody knows the answer to that, could somebody email us or hit us up? Because I would. I would like to know the answer to that. Right. But like, Dahmer definitely figured it out. He figured it out, and there's another guy. Yeah. Apparently, somebody else who's a white male as well. Yeah. So Dahmer, I, I would say Dahmer doesn't even sound like he figured anything out. Mm-hmm. He sounded like he was already onto a trend. Mm. Mm-hmm. Something that white men were doing in the 80s and 90s yeah. was going to the hood in gay bars. Mm. Gosh, that's crazy. Like that, I didn't even think about it like that at all. Girl, I just thought about it right now. I was just like, hmm, why am I hearing gay bars in the hood regularly? Right. And Jeffrey Dahmer getting away with gay man and, and stuff in the hood and eating booty. Like, I mean, but not in the way that we do now. <laughs> I mean, like what Thanksgiving. The- and he roasted <laughs> that shit up. Glazed. Oh, my gosh. So... So basically, the main part that Leon liked to do, dr- I mean, sell drugs in is this apartment complex, and it was called Little Vietnam. Now, Little Vietnam was called that because the apartment was so ran down and there was so much activity and bad things that would happen. So there was so much going on in this apartment complex, Little Vietnam, and that's why they called it Little Vietnam because you're liable to see, you know, of course, drug activities, possibly killings. There was just a lot of like wards going on there, but it was like a super low income apartment. And this is where Leon would set up his shop. So he would typically set up his shop in- Best, best place. Yeah. Location, location, location. Location, right. So he was set up, there was this little area in the back of the apartment complex where people would come in through the back door and he would sit on the stairwell. And there was other drug dealers that was in the area, but they all had their own little areas that they would do this in, right? That sounds so, like, you're making it sound very communal. Uh-huh. I, I, I was never a drug dealer, but uh-huh. I did have friends and doing it and went out there standing up there with them because I wanted to do it so bad. You'd have to take over an area and with a hostile takeover as uh-huh. well. For you to come to a communal situation where you guys are just dealing drugs and mm-hmm. it's fine. Because, I mean, it, what they call it is busing knocks. If you're going to do that, you know, you can't just have this guy taking so much of your clientele. Yeah, right. So, that's oddly communal. Mm-hmm. Did they know each other? Did they have an agreement? This well, is- I don't know about the agreement, but they did know each other. The one, the like Leon, they he did they did know each other. They weren't friends, but they were familiar. So, from what I understand from reading this story, like 
certain clients would go to like certain ones. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he must have got in on a click because I mean, like, you guys couldn't have been the first guys to come up with the idea of let's sell cocaine. Yeah, (laughs) and because it's already a rat place, you guys call it Vietnam. Uh So, so someone was doing this before they had established that, and Uh then then uh, whoever the person was adjacent to that. Took it over, right, and then made an establishment and brought him in. Was what it sounds like, mm-hmm. um, because I don't, I, I've never, I mean, as I said, and I will reiterate, I am not at the, and I'm not out there doing any type of. I, I tried to, I tried to because I thought it was cool, yeah, and that's something that I'll speak about, which is I think of a lot of this is going on, mm-hmm. and even this a uh, story. Um, but I thought that was one of the things that was prominent for me being a black man to kind of just do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I was out there and I was trying mm-hmm. actually very hard. And the people that told me to stop was the people that was out there. But you don't just get in. You don't just start. Yeah. I don't care if you meet a guy and you find somebody and for some weird reason, even if it's marijuana, try it one day. Try one day. And, you know what? Don't try it one day, listeners, because you might get killed. Mm-hmm. If you buy some drugs online over an ounce, and if you start standing outside, trying to, and especially once, because you, you're going to start scoping out where you need to sell it and where the cops not at, and then when you find an area where you think it's okay, there's usually going to be somebody that walks up to you like, hey, what's up, playboy? Mm-hmm. Nice to see you. What, what you doing over here? Bro, they scoping you out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you own their turf. There's, there's very... Few times where mm-hmm. you sell drugs, there's nobody over there already selling drugs. Right, right. It's insanely scary mm-hmm. on that part. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just, it's just, you made it sound very easy and communal. Yeah. When it sounds like they had something, whoever these associates with, apparently, it must be deep in his family. His mother's doing this stuff, you know, yeah. selling cocaine and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, this is a deeply involved family. Mm-hmm. Now, Little Vietnam was in, on uh, the street North Pennsylvania and 13th. So this is where, you know, all of his clients would go. So now we're going to get into the day in question. So pay very close attention to this day in question because it's going to be very important every step that Leon took this day. So this happened August 7th, 1998. First, he went to Little Vietnam to visit some clients that was in the apartment complex And at this point, he was wearing jeans and then he had a black windbreaker with a hood on. So then, you know, he was in there. He was he was selling drugs. And then him and his friend, he was with his friend, Tim, and they went to the liquor store to go, you know, to get some, you know, alcohol and stuff like that. So they went on a little break from selling drugs. Now, he was in a passenger seat. His friend Tim was driving. And on the way to the liquor store, or once they got to the liquor store, the neighborhood crackhead named Donald Brooks, you know, he, Donald Brooks, drugs was his life. Everybody knew him in the neighborhood as the crackhead. He came up to Leon and he said, hey, I need to score something. And Leon was like, you know where my spot is. You know, I don't make transactions on the street like this at all. But he was like, you know, I'll go, we'll go to another location because he didn't feel comfortable making the transaction right then and there. And he said, so it will be professional. Yeah. So he was like, so it could be conspicuous. He told Donald Brooks, he said, put your $40 on the passenger seat. He said, and I'm going to get out. I'm going to go in the store real quick. I'll be back. 
So he goes in the store, he gets his items. Leon comes out and he starts looking at his windbreaker and he realizes that he had left his drugs back at Little Vietnam. So he was like, oh shit, I need to go back to Little Vietnam and, you know, get my stash. Now, at this point, he still had Donald Brooks' money, right? But he could I hope this is a vital part of the story this, for you to tell me about a crackhead interaction. Well, this is vital. I just, you know what? You're not even letting me finish. I'm just letting you, I am letting you finish. I just, I'm just I'm just telling you what I feel at this I moment. Just Keep said going. Everything don't that, stop. Keep I just going. Said I don't know everything that I'm saying right now is pertinent to the story. Okay. Did you say that? Oh, are we on the same podcast? Girl, okay. Well, if it's pertinent, let's keep going. Okay. Don't stop now. Okay. So, back to what I was saying. He still had Donald Brooks $40. Brooks had already went to the meeting spot. Unfortunately, you know, this was the 90s before cell phones. You know what I mean? Like all that type of stuff. So, of course, he didn't contact Brooks. He didn't tell Brooks anything. He went, he goes back to Little Vietnam. Now, later on, later on Leon will say he did try to find Lee, um, Donald Brooks in order to, you know, tell him what happened. You know, that's kind of up in the air. But anyway, so Leon gets back to Little Vietnam, right? At this point, he takes his he takes his stance at his stairwell behind the apartment complex like usual, and he's just selling drugs. He was like, his pager was just going off all night, you know? He had like the most lucrative night that night. Make it happen, mm-hmm. man. Proud to be a killer of the community. Oh my, so then after this, he sends one of his friends to the gay bar because, you know, to get some beers because the gay bar would, you know, basically outsource liquor to him. So he sends him out. So his friend comes back with the beers because they all want to drink while they're sitting there selling, right? So after that happened... He, you know, he still has Donald Brooks money at this time. He still hasn't made contact with Donald Brooks. And so after this, he, um, there was this, at 3.30 a.m., there was this lady that came by. Her name was Miss Shirley. Everybody knows Miss Shirley. And Miss Shirley and Leon are like (coughs) super close. They're so close that she actually calls him nephew, you know? She was an older lady, but she was also really bad on drugs. So she was also a client. So she comes, he sells her the drugs and everything like that. So after he sells her the drugs, you know, she's about to leave, right? And so she's leaving out of the back door of this complex. And all of a sudden, you just hear some gunshots going off. And it was so bad that she ran back in and was just really scared, you know? From They were on the first floor when they were talking to each other? Yeah, they were on the first floor. Because remember, Leon, his, where he sells at, he sits, this, like, on the stairway. Right. And there's this, like, back way. So this is the and first she floor. she started walking off. Yeah, so she got her drugs and she starts walking out of the apartment complex. And mm. all of a sudden, this is where gunshots go off and mm. she gets scared and runs back in. Leon gets up and he walks over to like, there's a hallway in the apartment complex that he looks out the window and he says he sees like a black pickup truck. He didn't see anything else, but he heard the gunshots, right? So at this time, nobody really knew what happened. And he just kind of went, he went back to his house, him and his friend Tim went back to the house and he said he went to bed. You know, he had a good night's sleep. He said he had a really, he made thousands of dollars that night. So he was so happy and he was like, I'm about to get my goals. That was the last thing that happened. Mm. Now we're going to get into who the victim was. So the victim that actually got shot was named. The victim's name was Casey Shane. Now, Casey Shane was 25 years old and he was the youngest of six kids. His dad had just recently died from colon cancer a few years back. So he lived alone with his mom. And so, you know, and he was the youngest. So that he was the only child that was still at home. 
he worked at a car rental agency and everybody was shocked when they found out because, you know, he was a white kid. He was a white boy. And everybody was like, well, why would he have been in that neighborhood? This was a really bad neighborhood. And so when the police went to tell his family that he had gotten murdered on that street, nobody could understand what, what he was doing there. But they found said he was just a mechanic worker. No, he was. He worked at a rental car agency, probably like at the front desk or something like that. Oh, so oh, mm-hmm. so, so a customer service representative, uh-huh. not, not okay. Yeah. So, so not even heavy lifting, strong handed man. Yeah. Hmm. And so when the and so yeah, softer touch with yeah. the computers, especially in eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah, well, so this brings it up. So when the police went to tell his family what happened, you know, a lot of his cousins said there have been speculations that he was gay because he was, you know, he was very in the closet, you know, a lot of his cousins always disrespected and they was like, but he just wouldn't come out, you know? Mm. Yeah, he they was like, he just wouldn't come out. And there was also like, he was doing drugs. There was also speculation that he was doing drugs as well, a lot of his family members. And they said later, they said, why didn't he just come out? Like, we would have loved him no matter what, you know? He probably was smoking weed. He probably wasn't doing anything aggressive. But let me tell you, weed was called the gateway drug. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the quotes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they, it was it was called a very bad beginning of the end drug. Mm-hmm. Where people, a lot of people would get into like 2015, 2017. Yeah. Like everyone thought that if you smoke weed, that was the beginning. That was, It was called the devil's lettuce. Mm. That was the beginning of you falling into the pool of sin. Mm-mm. Well, so what they did was they started questioning. After they talked to his family members, they went to the gay club and the gay club was called the Varsity. They spoke to the bartender at the Varsity. They showed him a picture of Casey and and the bartender nodded and said Casey would always come in there all the time. And he was one of the few white boys that would come in there. That's why he noticed him, you know, so much. Did you say the owner of the club that's... Uh, of a gay bar mm-hmm. in the, the hood bartender. Said, the, said okay so I'm sorry the bartender mm-hmm. who's serving the drinks and looking at the crowd all the time mm-hmm. in the hood mm-hmm. is saying that he's one of the few white men yeah so that means a lot of black men mm-hmm. majority of the time is mm-hmm. in that club mm-hmm. yes I just wanted us both to go ahead and yeah reiterate that of 80s and 90s mm-hmm that's wild. Cocaine dealers. It's like you have a cocaine dealer place, you have a liquor store, and you have a gay club. Like, that's an odd... For me, I thought I was like... When you first said that, I was like, that's an odd combination. Mm-hmm. But I heard it before when you did that Jeffrey Dahmer. So that's like, this is weird. Yeah. Was that going on? Oh, uh, I don't Was know. that a lot of that going on? Oh, to be a Cocaine, a drink, and gay clubs. Mm-mm. Down. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, there was, you know, now there was some theories about what could have happened because Casey Shane was shot in his truck, you know. So there were several theories that went on. The one theory that happened was that maybe Casey Shane was leaving the club because he got shot not at the club, but he was actually, you know, on the street leaving the club. And they was like, maybe he tried to pick up on the wrong dude. And because that was a bad area, that dude was not gay and he shot him. And to me, that one, I think we talked about that. That one didn't make sense because if he just left the gay club, why wouldn't he try to holler at 
somebody that was there at the club. Yeah, why would you leave the club and then try to holler at somebody on the street? That didn't make sense. And I mean, how would you guys get into an argument after that? Yeah, all of a sudden. But they, they thought that dude was just so, you like, you know. You got to be coming on strong. Yeah, because I can't see somebody just pulling out a gun, shooting somebody because, I don't know, because he just said, hey, I think you're cute or something. But I don't know, people are crazy, so. No, I mean, and gay guys don't come on, especially right. in the 80s and 90s, they don't come on like that. Yeah. They say something like, hey, what's your deal? Yeah, you know, and if you if you don't seem like you picked up on the right words, they're just like okay, and they're like yeah, you know, they're not saying so nobody's gonna pull cool out a like gun that. and shoot him over yeah yeah. Well, the other one was that he was buying drugs, and it was just a drug deal that went bad. You know what I mean? And he got shot that way. So that was like the that was was the two main theories that happened as to why because nobody could figure out like what the hell happened. Now, this is when it gets really crazy because the police never found the gun. They did find the shell casings, but they never found the gun. There was no forensic evidence. And this was the 90s. So there was very grainy surveillance footage that was, you know, located in the area. They couldn't even use it because it was just way too grainy. They didn't know what the hell happened. There was no DNA. And there was so many cops in the in the area. Everybody was questioned. And it was important to know, like, a lot of the drug dealers that, you know, they spoke on this and they said this was so crazy and it shut down their business. You know, this just made the whole block hot. They like, mm. everybody was really upset, you know, about this. Everybody wanted to find out if anybody saw anything. Now this is when, and that's what makes it not be for me. That makes it not believe it's a drug deal going bad mm-hmm. because I've learned the you don't want to make the block hot. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to do a killing where you sell mm-hmm. because yeah. you lose a lot of money that way. Yeah. Like, so who if you, does if you, that? Yeah, right. if you think about it, you think I I know they depicted in a lot of gangster movies and all that stuff. Well, especially in the eighties, nineties, and you know early two thousands of what black people would do when they're out because they make it seem like we were just rambunctious gorillas shooting at people. <laughs> but in actuality, a good amount of these guys are not are not stupid. Mm-hmm. They're actually extremely intelligent. Yeah, but they just decided to go this route. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they do know and are aware is that. I want to continue to sell stuff and a dead person is not going to pay me anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've watched people have a whole lot of arguments with Knox and a whole lot of arguments with transactions members and all the stuff. And I wouldn't even say the cause part is the arguments don't be as heated as you think. Mm-hmm. They don't be yelling back and forth with these people. It's usually stuff like stop paying me in pennies, you know, stop giving me this change and stuff like that. Or they'll see them walking bad and be like, you can go down the street and get old reruns, jackass shit. All right, bro, he steps on his stuff. His stuff ain't as good as mine. You're going to go down there. I don't care if it's cheaper. You're going to come back here. You're going to have boogers and snot out your nose. You're going to die. <laughs> they, say, they say stuff like that. Yeah. To yeah. them people. Because they're not like not because they're still salesmen. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. their whole day is they are car salesmen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're not actually not trying to get you to do this. Mm-hmm. And so you don't pay them fifty dollars, which is is a different is a is a kind of a deal thing. But for real though, with all the money that they're making, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's really not <clears throat> because of the fact of you know fifty dollars even to the average person is still a, a decent amount of money. But they were making enough money to where they didn't want a job, so yeah. they're obviously making more than the average person. Mm-hmm. So they're not shooting you really right over that over that. Mm. Especially in their area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to destroy the money I'm making mm-hmm. over some crackhead who right. probably did give you the money, but they get shorted you like 
a dollar seventy two cents because right. they paid you in change. Right. I'm not gonna go out and start hunting a person down wanting to shoot them mm-hmm. over a dollar and seventy two cents. Exactly, and it's gonna shut the block down for everybody. Right. And for me. Yeah. Do you know how many how much money? How you just said he was so excited yeah. that he made so much money that night. Yeah. One of his most profitable nights. Come on, you're right? Not, you're not trying to do that to mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, a woman named Christy Schmidt, and she was doing her newspaper route by, she was stuffing mailbox. You know, those little, they still have them, but people don't really probably use them no more. But she worked for this newspaper company called The Star. And you know, those little mailboxes where you put the little quarter in and you pull it, pull the thing down and get your paper. She was stuffing those in the middle of the night. And newspaper she, stands, yeah. The I newspaper stands, yeah. News, okay. They still know. have them, but they, I don't know, like, when was the last time somebody used a newspaper stand? Well, they they don't use those little newspaper boxes because mm-hmm. jerks would sit there and put the quarter in it and say the newspaper should be free, and they yeah. just pull them all out mm. and sit them on top of the machine. Damn, that's wild. <laughs> but so she said. Now this is what she said. She witnessed because she did witness the shooting, and she said she saw the the Dodge pickup truck, and it had its brake lights on because Casey Shane was in there, and he was when he was talking to the person that shot him. Of course, he had his foot on the brake. And so she said that there was a man standing on the sidewalk next to the truck. They were talking, whatever. And she heard the gunshots and the man ran off after the shooting. And she got so scared that she got in her her vehicle and she drove, you know, down North Pennsylvania. And that's when she called 911. Now on this 911 call, she said that the shooter was a black man, early to mid twenties and he had no facial hair. And she said he was dark skinned and he was wearing a black t-shirt and black Adidas sweatpants. So do you remember what I said Leon was wearing? Jeans and a black hoodie. Yeah. A black um, windbreaker. Windbreaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And keep in mind. So Leon is actually really light skinned. Like Leon is light skinned. So this is what the, this is what the lady said at this time. So, then, so now the, the police is questioning everybody. They're still, you know, questioning to find out what happened. And this is when Detective Jones is scoping out the area. And he was approached by Donald Brooks. So let me back it up. So before this happened, remember Donald Brooks is the crackhead that Leon had his $40, mm-hmm. right? So the police is all over here for like weeks trying to figure out what happened to this boy. Now, between this time, Donald Brooks had actually ran into Leon again and at told Leon, hey, you remember you still have my $40 and I want my drugs. And Leon was like, oh man, like, I'm so sorry about that. And he was like, I don't have anything on me right now, but I'll settle up with you, you know, because he had kind of saw him in passing. Well, after this interaction, Donald Brooks came up to the detective and this is Detective Jones. And he said that he saw Leon do this shooting. He said, I know exactly who killed that white boy. And it was somebody named Lee, like Detroit, Leon Benson, but they call him Detroit. Who was he, Chris Rock? Because I don't even know no cop that just takes a crackhead's word for it. This is, right, this is... Like, even when he came in and was talking about, they selling drugs in a place, usually they'd be like, well, prove it. Yeah. What I want you to do is put a microphone on your Mm -hmm. chest, walk in there with no backup and no underwear, and go in there and say cocaine five times Mm -hmm. for the drug transaction. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't... What... Yeah, they Who cares were, that this crackhead said that? Yeah, they literally, and this was one of Leon's biggest defenses. And we'll see, this is one of the things that really caused this case to fall apart. So Donald Brooks said he did it. And then so Christy Smith, 
she was called down, you know, to do like at a lineup and she was showed Leon's picture and she pointed to him and said that she feels like he did it. That was the one. Now keep in mind, she originally on the 911 call said it was a dark skinned guy with no facial hair. Well, Leon is a light skinned guy and he has facial hair. So, but she picked Leon's picture out and said that she was sure she saw him. I mean, that's pretty deep. That's that's a stretch. But I yeah. now with all the stuff you were saying before is starting to come into effect. It's mm-hmm. starting to mail together mm-hmm. like a British movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's absolutely insane. So now there was another drug dealer. That same night there was another drug dealer named Decoria. He was out, you know, he was one of Leon's, you know, associates. You know, he knew of Leon, but they, you know, they weren't super close, but they were friends. And Dakaria said he knew, he knows exactly what Leon looks like, you know? So what happened was the night of the shooting, Dakaria, he had finished selling his drugs and he was on his way to the gas station to get some Swishers because he had run out. So he was walking and he said that when he was walking, he passed by the pickup truck. He saw the first thing he saw, he saw the man sitting there and, you know, arguing back and forth. He said he couldn't tell what was going on, but he was like, the first thing that crossed his mind was this person is obviously trying to buy drugs, but he said, who the fuck argues with a crackhead? Like you either have the money or you don't. So he was like, he couldn't understand what that whole interaction was about, but he just kind of minded his own business and he was about to go to the liquor store or the gas station. So he said, next thing he knows, there was some shooting going on and he looked and he saw that that car, the pickup truck, you know, his foot had been on the brakes, but Casey, after he got shot, he, his foot got off the brakes and he crashed into another car and Zakaria was like, oh shit, this is really bad. He was like, obviously he's either dead or really hurt if you can't even hold on to the brake pedal. So he was like, he didn't even get swishers that night. He just immediately went straight home. Mm And so he was like, but he said he did see the shooter and he said it definitely was not Leon Benson. Mm. He said that it was another guy. He said it was another guy. And this comes years later, but he said it was another guy named Webster, but they call him Looney. That's who he had identified as the shooter was who he saw. He said he was wearing black pants, the Adidas pants. And so that's how he knew about them. But he was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and go. And then he said the same thing. He said he blew up the spot, you know, and he was really worried because police was all over the street. So he was like in the next coming weeks, he was like, all he would do is try to meet his quota, but he would just go home. And he said sometimes even if he was below his quota, he was so scared to do anything that he went home and he started keeping his money in like cans. Like he would crumple up cans and he would put the money in there. So he had like crumpled up cans all around his house because he was scared the police was going to search him Mm. yeah so so he was like he knew something was really bad and so what happened was leon actually was brought in because this is after donald brooks said he did it this was after christy smith said that you know he did it and at first when he got brought into the police station he thought something had happened with drug related he was like oh he expected this he thought he was going to get questioned about drugs and he got question about the murder and he was like i didn't do that shit like i had nothing to do with that he was completely shocked taken off guard and everything and they charged him with the murder of casey shane based on that so what happened was a week later after all this happened dakaria the guy that was walking to the liquor store he actually ended up getting arrested for selling drugs jesus yeah i mean well no that it was hot yeah so everybody's out there trying mm-hmm. to do something 
So keep in mind that this was the 90s and this was when the whole like drug thing really like they was really cracking down on drugs. That's when Clinton was president mm. and he was facing up to 50 years. And he was like, you know, when he got just for dealing drugs, just for dealing drugs, he was facing up to 50 years. Mm. So the police, so he was like, he's not a snitch and he doesn't believe a snitch, but he was like, he didn't want to give his life away. So he said, I might know something about that murder of that white boy. You know what I mean? Like, mm. so he was like, just to, to, you know, kind of make a deal with the police. And he said, so, so the police agreed to lower down his time, you know, and so he told him it was not Leon Benson that did this. It was a guy named Looney, which is Webster. He knows Leon and it definitely was not him. The police asked him why. So if you witnessed the shooting, he was like, why didn't you say something there? And he was like, I'm a drug dealer. Like, do you really think I'm going to witness the shooting and then get on the phone and call 911? Like, who does that? You know? Well, and the, the bylaw of snitches. Get right. Stitches. Right. So, so that was the thing. And so it was crazy because he was being held in the same jail that Leon was being held in during that time. And they saw each other in passing and he was saying, man, you're going to be okay. Cause I told them what happened. Well, Leon was not okay because this was a whole thing of what happened. First of so all, they take the word of the crackhead, but don't take the word of somebody who's openly confessing. Right. Well, it's the crackhead. And then remember Christy Smith, which Christy Smith was the newspaper person. So honestly, I think Christy Smith's word had a lot more like weight on this just because, yeah. So here it is where, you know, Leon is about to go to trial and so here's the thing christy smith they said that she identified leon she had no skin in the game that's what they said she had no skin in the game she was just a a newspaper person doing her job so they felt like why would she have a reason to lie you know even if they discredit donald brooks who was the crackhead you still have christy smith so i mean they probably did that week point to the man that's done the crime that you think that you saw point to the man that you think you saw the shooting Mm -hmm. and she's pointing to the guy in the defensive stand I've always wanted to see the lawyer that puts a different person there. Mm-hmm. Like, put somebody else in that chair and then tell her to point to the man. Mm-hmm. Have him sitting, like, in the in the aisles, mm-hmm. you know, but have him looking at it where you can see her, see her too, and she can clearly see him, too. Oh, yeah. But uh-huh. then be like, point to the man. And if she points to the defendant, like, you don't know who you point to. You don't know yours yet, right. Because I always wonder, like, and after hearing this whole story, I was like, eyewitness testimony sucks. Right, or either that have one of the lawyers that's wearing a suit, like have him put on the suit, and then your ass come in there oh, and act yeah. like you're a criminal, yeah. and have him sit down. So it's always you point to the one at the table, mm-hmm. and you point to that guy, and be like, "Yeah, no." Mm-hmm. Like, well, actually, he's that one over there. We put him in a suit. Yeah, that would be. They should start doing that. Because I mean, really point to him mm-hmm. there, because it's just that's on some default. Yeah, cause... like on that, you could be blind as long as you know to point to the right. Yeah, that's that person. Hmm. Well, what really went against Leon too is because remember he was with his friend Tim that night. He was with Shirley, but no one. Everybody said like they were his alibis, and everybody said no, we didn't see Leon at all because everybody else, you know. So there was the people he was selling drugs to. They're not going to say anything because they were doing something wrong. His Once friend again, Tim is going to say old nothing. Rule of snitches get stitches. Right. Right. And so, yeah. Funny to me is now it doesn't work in your benefit. It doesn't work because everybody, so Leon had no alibi because everybody said they was not with him and they didn't see him the whole night. You as Leon should give them all a high five and tell them to thank you for staying loyal to the hood. Oh, Don't no. ever let me out. Don't ever tell anything to help my case because you are true to the hood for mm. the snitches and the stitches. 
Like, I feel like that Snitches and Stitches was raised up as a morale thing for the drug dealers and people doing wrong to keep the stuff into their own circle. Mm-hmm. So when it doesn't work for you, mm-hmm. and because of the fact that you didn't have a corrupt system anyway, mm-hmm. what, what what do you want me to feel? Oh, yeah. Well, Leon hires a really bad attorney named Timothy Miller. And so Leon ends up going to trial May 24th, 1999. And... You know, so basically, Timothy Miller, the reason he was a bad attorney is because he didn't cross-examine anybody. He didn't tear apart Christy Smith's story at all. You know, he didn't ask the right questions. And, you know, Detective Jones, you know, should have been on the stand. And, you know, he basically should have asked the correct questions. He didn't do any of this stuff. Donald Brooks, when he was called to the stand of Crackhead, Donald Brooks just kept saying, I don't remember. I, I don't remember anything. So Donald Brooks like completely changes his story up there. And then do you know what Timothy Miller's incompetent ass did? Who the hell is Timothy Miller? The fucking defense attorney. Oh. He puts Leon on the stand. And what is my second rule? Never go on the stand and and do it yourself. Right. So my first rule is Leon was questioned by law enforcement and you never get questioned by law enforcement without an attorney, whether you're guilty or innocent. And you never take the stand yourself, whether you're guilty or innocent, if you're a defendant. Because it's the other rule is is never plead guilty. Yeah, right? That's the other thing. But the problem with getting on the witness stand is, you know, it's great to tell your side of the story because your defense attorney is going to ask you questions that's going to make you in a good light. But then the prosecutor is going to come and going to tear everything apart and that's you know what's gonna happen i've yet to see anybody get on the witness stand themselves and it turns out to be good so timothy miller might see trump do it oh my gosh oh that's a whole nother thing but i'm like dude like you as a defense you should always tell your client that and the worst thing is leon was like you know he asked questions like well what do i say up there he said tell him whatever you want that's what his fucking what? that's what his defense attorney said out of out of fire that's fucking like, and you're fired right and here's my thing too. So it went even worse because remember Leon was questioned by law enforcement and there was a lot of things that he left out because he didn't want to incriminate himself for selling drugs. So it looked bad when he got up there on the stand and then it's like his story kind of changed and he didn't remember, you know, every single minute of where he was. He just kind of gave an overview of the day. Mm. But that really goes against people too because, you know, think about if you think about what happened a year ago or even yesterday, do you remember every last step you made? So that's the problem too. And with murder they're going by minute by they're minute. going by minute by minute it's from this time to this time yeah they are very specific mm-hmm. so all of this just t- tore everything apart but this first trial actually ended with a mistrial so there was half people that felt like you know he was guilty and half people that wasn't a mistrial is not always a good thing it just means that you're going to be retried again which mm-hmm. a mistrial can be really bad because that means that they the prosecution is going to fix everything that they did in the first trial you know what i mean and you got to pay your defendant again. Again. You got it all that all over again, you know? Imagine paying Tony Conquer two times. Right. Oh, my gosh. So he goes back to court again. He goes back to trial and he's found guilty. He was actually sentenced to 60 years in prison for selling drugs. So he would have been in there for like ever. For selling drugs. For se- so I mean, I'm sorry. Why did I say selling drugs? I meant for murder. He was... Why did I say selling drugs? I think because this whole thing is about selling drugs. The, uh, six, well, that like, another guy went to prison for 50 he years. He was going to go to prison drugs. for 50 years. That's where it was. I mixed it up. But no, he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. So basically, he would have died in there for this murder of Casey Shane. They found him guilty of first-degree murder. So, I mean, how old was he? 
So at this time he was 22 years old. Mm. Imagine being 22 years old and your whole life is just gone. Right. Oh, that's just terrible. So, but it's not over yet. So what happened was, um, oh, let me back up a little bit because, okay, so he got a mistrial. The second trial, what went against him was that he ended up hiring, um, his baby mom ended up hiring this uh, private investigator. The private investigator's name was Jimi Hendrix, and he was so awesome. Before he became a guitarist? No, this was actually a different Jimi Hendrix. You got to put an initial between that. Right, huh? You can't just be Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, but- Nobody's Michael Jordan. Look at Michael B. Jordan. Right. You can't just be Michael Jordan, mofo. You can't just be Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I don't care who you was and who had it first. Jimmy's out there. Yeah. You ain't him. Uh, well, Stop saying you Jimi Hendrix. Well, let me back this up a little bit because in between the trials, right, they hired Jimmy and Jimmy was actually a private investigator that got into that work because he had a criminal background himself. He had gotten charged with murder, but he did 20 years and he was released. He was a changed man and he was able to investigate, you know, a lot of things. So he saw so many things that was wrong with the first trial. The first thing is he went to the exact spot that Christy would have been at when she was filling up the newspapers, right? And she, he was like, from this spot, he was like, there's no way she would have gotten a good identification. It was 3.30 in the morning. From the angle she was standing, that wouldn't have been anything good at all. So he wrote all of this in his report. And, you know, Jimi Hendrix really summed it up where which Leon was an easy target. You know, he was a black man. He was selling drugs. And basically they figured they had gotten their guy. And a lot of times, once you feel like you got a defendant, they never stopped looking. They never even looked into Webster to figure out if he had done it or not. They just really stayed on Leon and they stayed at Christy Smith's that, part, that part's odd as hell. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have a crackhead and a white woman. I mean, I guess that's, you know, is the end all be all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, you still have a number of witnesses that are naming another person mm-hmm. to not even look into it. Yeah. Is some true serious negligence. Mm hmm. And then on top of that, Donald Brooks was not, you know, he wasn't good at all. He, Why would you take someone that was strong out on drugs that obviously had a problem with Leon because of him thinking Leon stole his $40. So that was a problem. So, you know, Jimi Hendrix wrote all of this up into his initial report and he submitted it to the court. However, you know, he said it would be a bad idea for him to take the stand because he had a previous, you know, history and the prosecution, if he took the stand, he was going to dig all of that up. Well, do you know what this idiot Timothy Miller did? Put Jimi Hendrix on the stand. And do you know what happened? Exactly that. The prosecution tore him apart and was like, A, he's an ex, you know, convict himself. So he, his words shouldn't mean anything. And B, he was getting paid because he got paid $1,500 for as a private investigator by Leon's baby mom. So he was like, he's getting paid. He's going to say whatever. So they didn't even look at the facts in this case. Mm. And they straight up just sentenced Leon guilty. So Leon was serving 60 years in prison. Mm. And Jimi Hendrix, I felt so bad listening to Jimi Hendrix, like his, um, you know, everything that he said after this trial, because he was so heartbroken and he literally felt guilty and he felt like it was his fault. And Jimi didn't do anything wrong. The idiot attorney put him on the stand. It's not his fault that he had a previous conviction. He did everything he could. He told him not to get on the stand. Mm -hmm. So, that was the horrible thing. So yeah, now, I don't, yeah, wow. Yeah, mm. you. Why did you put him on the stand? That's crazy. Mm. I, like that's a hard solution because just because of just hearing from what Jimmy was doing mm. with his intent, mm-hmm. it sounds true. So uh, right. 
It's like, like, why would you worry about his background? But then again, I want you to worry about the background of the crackhead. Exactly. So it's, it's hard See? for me to argue that one. See, this is yeah. Now, so that so um, July sixth, nineteen ninety nine, was when the new trial was, and he, you know, got sentenced to guilty. And Matt Share, the journalist, the one that I told you was running the other podcast, he called it the tail wags the dog, which is basically once you have a defendant, you just kind of everything fits. No, this is you know this is something. The tail rever- wags the dog. No, it's it's the tail. Yeah, the tail wags the dog, which means that instead of you trying to find clues as to you know most of the time the police is supposed to try to find clues and lead up to the person that did it. No, instead you went and got the person you feel like done it and you make all the clues fit to him. So it's everything in backwards. Mm. That's why he called it the tail wags the dog. Oh. And this was major in this case. So. So Leon is in prison serving time. And, you know, at one point he had lost all hope and he ends up getting new defense attorneys who sits here and looks at this case and was like, this whole case is just garbage. For starters, you know, they put Christy Smith on the stand and Christy Smith admitted that she had no black friends at all. She doesn't, she's not even around black people. And she said like, she did kind of admit that she kind of can't tell black people apart. I mean, as a white woman in the 80s and Mm -hmm. 90s, you should not be around black people. Oh my, you know, Stay safe. Oh, you you know what? So keep yourself from the pollution. Well, oh my god! I, you know it made me so mad because it made me so mad because she was like, well, because they cross examined her and she was like, well, no, I don't have any black friends and I'm not around black people. And then they was like, so like, how would you have like known to tell these black men apart? And she was like, oh well, because like I passed them all the time when I do my you know my and newspaper she knows round. Who Michael Jordan is so. <laughs> So, I mean, and even he probably is a drug dealer in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> so, as her as a white woman, she did the right thing. You tell them all that they're all guilty and they all should be killed. Because mm. be safe. Oh, my God. Be safe. What black man wasn't dealing drugs? Mm, well, yeah, well... <laughs> Now, the other thing was they actually this time put Detective Jones on the stand and they said, so you're in a neighborhood. Nobody said anything. Nobody would even give Leon an alibi. And the police are all over the place. Yet you have this drug deal, uh, this drug user, Donald Brooks, that walks right up to you and says, I know who did it. Was that not suspicious to you? And he was like, and she said, in all your years of law enforcement, has that ever happened? Has a, a crackhead or somebody that does drugs, have they ever came up to you and volunteered anything? He was like, no. So she said, you didn't think that this was weird at all he said i did but i just thought he you had information pause at that no i'm just I, I'm, I'm still listening but yeah you, you rush that fast because it just makes me so mad mm-hmm. the this whole thing just made me so freaking mad like this whole case it still makes me mad because somebody lost 25 years of their life and there's a murder that's not I mean, gonna not, go- not not completely unjustly he did not do I mean, we'll get to that. Okay, later we'll get on. to what that I when we feel. bring him on. Yeah, when we bring him on, we'll. we'll get oh, to we'll bring, do when we bring him on. Oh shit. Yeah, because. But I mean, yes, he went to jail for something I do believe he didn't do, but I wouldn't say unjust. Mm. Those are those are two different words now. Mm-mm-mm. So the other thing was when Christy got back on the stand as well, there was a lot of contradictions in her story. So remember, they still had the report from Jimi Hendrix that says from the, the, where she was standing at the newspaper stand, she wouldn't have been able to see it, especially the way she said she had her face turned. There's no way that she saw him. Like, you know, her face turned. nobody knows where her face was turned. 
well, these are all reports. You know what I mean? These are all comparing reports based on what she said in the initial one, based on what she said on the stand. So then she said, okay, she saw him because remember she said she got so scared that she got in her car and she started driving down the, the crime scene. Well, the time... But she identified the Adidas pants. She did identify the Adidas pants. But then she said, and this is the part that she left out the very last time that she got on the stand. She said that she actually made eye contact with him as she was driving off. Well, she didn't say that in the initial report. So it's like she's kind of adding on to the story a little bit because this is becoming like it's so many years later. Now you don't know what the hell you said, you know? Mm. So basically what happened at that point, Reverend Run was in danger. Mm hmm. So basically this whole thing is like they made a very good analysis. They said, let's say me and you was walking down the street together and you pass me and I don't know you at all. Right. And, you know, somebody comes to me later, say that man right there committed a crime. That man that passed you, do you remember what he looked like? And I don't know what you, I don't remember what you looked like. Right. Because I only passed you. I didn't think I would have to go back and identify you later. And they keep on asking, well, do you know anything about him? So then in my mind, I'm going to start making stuff up because I want to be helpful to the police. So I'm like, well, I think that he had short hair and I think he had this and I think he had that you know what I mean so that was a lot of it you know and so you start kind of adding on to it and making it fit so that's a lot of this so there was I would say this analogy that's a lot of what happens mm-hmm. because police officers are very pushy mm-hmm. simultaneously and being a black man I the coldest part is I called into my own robbery I had been robbed and I, I started getting and I had asked him I was like why are you guys interrogating me like I'm the criminal yeah but they start probing so forcefully uh-huh. that you almost feel like you have to say something yeah, or you're going to feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And that's how they keep pushing you. Yeah. So like, then you, are you in cahoots? You're not trying to help us out. Like, Whoa, I, I, I called you. Right. What I've the- had to say that to cops more than one time, uh-huh. only two times. Cause it's, I, I don't really call them. But well, the times I have, uh-huh. I'm like, bro, I called you. Yeah. It's what ridiculous. Why am I doing all this? Right. So, yeah. Well, after 25 years, Leon was released from prison. He was actually just released March 2023. It was one time. I just put extra on it. (laughs) So he's been released March 2023 because all of these things together with his new defense attorneys, they were able to get him out and create a reasonable doubt because it's just... Is there a reasonable doubt that he did this? And there was so many holes in this. And there was so many things that was wrong with this investigation that he was actually, you know, given an exoneration. So he's a free man as of March, 2023. And on the podcast, they asked, was anybody going to go after Webster? And most likely, I don't think so, just because it's been so long ago and they still need like more evidence, Mm. you know, but you know, the fact of the matter is and Leon's new defense attorney said, we don't have to prove anybody else did this for Leon to get out. We just have to prove that there was a reasonable doubt that he did not do this. Yeah. That's not their job. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I mean, there's shell cases that they investigate the shell cases. Um, (coughs) did the defendant said defendant have a gun? Did he own he guns? had guns, but it, his guns did not match those shell casings. And the crazy thing was, the shell casings actually did match a gun that Webster had at one point. Mm. So, so yeah, so that didn't cause enough for investigation, right? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to investigate that now or where that is, but 
Yeah. So was was the was he ever a gun toter? Did he go around having guns? Who, Leon? Yes. Oh yeah, Leon admitted he's he's Leon has shot at people before, and he's he's shot open. at people. Yeah, Leon is very open about his past. Like he's you know he was a drug dealer. He has had situations where he had he's had to shoot at people. So one thing he did say is like I don't feel like like I didn't do this, but you know he's had guns and he shot at people and stuff before. So so but this he isn't just, as I said before. I guess you're gonna make me hold this out. He's not an innocent man. Well, I mean, he doesn't. Like, do you know the word? What the word "innocent" means? Well, he's innocent what? of that crime. He's not like completely innocent of everything. But he should. He went to jail for twenty five years for something he didn't even do. I mean, no, uh, uh, the a guy went to jail for fifty years and didn't kill nobody. Well, he was going to go to jail for fifty years if he wouldn't have given. That, up. So he yeah. was being convicted for killing nobody, and he was going to go go to jail for fifty years. Okay, well... So, you going to jail for 25 years doesn't even sound as bad, and this is on some killing. But he was actually sentenced to longer than that. He just got an exoneration at the I mean, 10 years, years beyond that other guy, is what uh, you, you told yeah. me, 60 years. Yeah. And the other guy had did, had, didn't kill nobody. He was at 50. Yeah. Well... I mean, it almost sounds like... You should have went to jail. Anyway, but I'll, yeah, I'll talk well, about that later because what? Yes, Leon. It's is not the, like an innocent man now. Mm, I, I'm gonna give you my description of what an innocent man. Looks okay. Like. All right. Yes, please do. And so we're gonna bring Leon on. Have the man of the hour sitting here is Leon Benton himself. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much for coming. Like totally, this is so great. You know what? He didn't go to the Dave Chappelle concert for us. I I, I heard something different, but well, anyway, something to do with the word Dave Chappelle did come up. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Leon. I'm so <laughs> excited. Thank you for coming on the Hot Garbage Show because he this is the man of the hour. He could be doing anything right now. He could. Uh, uh, hey, hey, hey! It's an honor to be on you guys' show. Definitely, I heard a lot about y'all. Y'all doing great things. Oh, thank you. And I'm so happy that you're here with us and you're out. And so our listeners has, you know, a little bit, they, they've heard your story and Buddha Badass is actually going to be asking some questions. You know, here's the question she gave me. That's why, this is weird. You should, I thought it was going to be a double. But yes. I have been appointed to ask the questions. Well, I know that when I was breaking down the story and stuff like that, you had some questions, and I'm going to have some questions as well. We all just have questions for our guests, right, Buddha? Yeah. Is there anything you want to say at the start of this whole thing? Uh, Definitely. uh, 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 I just want to just, you know, give a shout-out, you know, to people out there in the podcast world, you know, to continue to keep giving the best information like Hot Garbage Podcast and, you know, y'all hosts and everybody else. And uh, other than that, let's, let's, let me put my feet on the gas. You know, y'all got the questions for me. Oh, All truth is saying investigation, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir. I, for, first of all, this is, tell us glad who this is that we are talking to. Leon Benson. All right. Yes. So, in, in the flesh. So uh, one flesh. of the things we want to um, talk to you about is with all that happened with you, how do you feel about eyewitness testimonies? Oh, eyewitness testimony. Hey, this is something that's really, you know, endearing to me because, you know, I had to live with it for so long, for 25 years in prison. So I did a lot of research, you know, while I was incarcerated. I became a pro se, had to represent myself for a number of years. 
And from my research, I had found out that the number one cause for all wrongful incarceration was eyewitness misidentification. So early on, you know, I brought every innocent project and everything, like in the early 2000s. I got no rhythm from them. They turned me down. They said, your case don't got DNA. So this forced me to write an essay called DNA, Denied Necessary Assistance. It was just the overfixation on this new science that were getting people out. So people just wanted to take the easy route, even though the statistics show that the number one causes of wrongful incarceration is eyewitness mis you know eyewitness misidentification and prosecutorial misconduct mm, so mm -mm. i was like i was on the floor so as time went by you know i became discouraged like oh man like 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 how i'm going to get out of here especially when the key witness in my case in 2006 uh a man by the name of uh Dakari Fulton he was in a coma and oh. I thought he was, I thought he was going to die. So they, that's the end of my eyewitness testimony right there. I'm like, Oh man, my eyewitness that was on my side, I was saying they seen somebody else. He's gone. So we got to contend with this, this other witness who mm -hmm. happened to be a white woman. And that is the number one, uh, uh, wrongful convictions, uh, uh, misidentification is cross-racial mm -hmm. misidentification when you got people from different races identifying each other yeah uh it's it's statistically high that they make a misidentification especially when they don't know that person right personally so when when the Kari was in that coma from a car accident i started looking for other means of like trying to get it together and I happened to bump into uh Jeffrey Loftus, Dr. Jeffrey Loftus. He he was a professor and still is at Washington University. He's an empirical psychologist. Mm -hmm. And in two thousand in two thousand and four he came up with a new science on vision and distance. Oh. And from his from his analysis, this is what it says scientifically. In broad daylight, the best light that you can get on the planet, mm -hmm. from 50 yards away, somebody with 20-20 vision cannot recognize a face. Wow. And under poor light, uh, lighting sense. conditions, the loss of information to your eyes triple. So at night or at dusk or at dawn or any of those things, that means that 50 yards would be the equivalent of 150 Wow. Totally impossible. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Somebody with 2020 vision. Thank you for breaking that down because I went over the cross racial identification, but that adds a whole nother layer to it because I didn't know that that's actually like breaking it down. That's horrible. Somebody with 2020 vision, like that lets you know that that's completely insane. Yeah. She decided to hear that. Yeah. So then what will be the solution uh, for eyewitness testimonies with, with something that you feel? Well, you know, back back in the 90s, one thing that was really significant about my case was there was no mandatory law in Indiana at the time that mandated the police to record or videotape their uh, identifications of oh. sessions. 
nor to have a double-blind procedure. So a double-blind procedure would be the officer that's conducting the photo lineup mm-hmm. or the actual lineup, he really wouldn't know who the suspect was. Oh. Because the research showed that when the detective knows who the suspect is and they conducting the, uh, the identification with the eyewitness, they can be subjective, even, you know, unconsciously. And they can kind of like point, you sure you don't see him? Because he know the guy is in there somewhere, right? Oh. So mm-hmm. what we what we want to do now, like in a lot of states, you know, like New Jersey, one of them, and I think California too, and even here recently in, in, in Indiana, and I know it's going on here in Michigan as well, that police, when they conducting these uh, procedures, they have to have it recorded. And in a lot of instances, they got to do double blinds and do single, like, pictures mm. opposed to doing a photo ray because statistics show that people get wrongfully identified through those type of procedures. So these are the safeguards that we can have, you know, to, to reduce that. Knowing that eyewitness identification is not 100%, but we are people, and people... You know, they see things, but they might not see exactly what they think they've seen, but they mm-hmm. see things, you know, depending on how the procedure is ran, how they get the information, we can have a a, 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 a good procedure. None will never be perfect. Right. It's never going to be perfect on that. No. Now, <laughs> now well, speaking of it never being perfect, being a little bit of devil advocate, now... How much do you think this was karma, my guy? Uh, I, I know you feel like you wrongfully accused. I don't think you did it. I listened to the whole thing. I, you know, I didn't hear it from you, but I heard the story of what it was told. Uh, how much of a percentage do you think you should have went to jail? Uh, uh-uh. one thing, none, not none, not, not at all. all not being a you know a, a drug right. dealer, guy that's known to shoot at people. You shouldn't have went to jail at all. Nah, nah, the reason why I say that because what you're bringing up is a term called a fallacy of a just world. And that term, a fallacy of a just world, means, hey, something had to be for something. But when we deal with this universe, you know, hey, it's statistics, it's odds. You know, just with me being a drug dealer put me in a very, you know, precarious situation alone, you know. So we can say cause and effects, cause and effects more than something like karma or something hit me. I never killed nobody. I never put nobody in prison for 25 years. I, mean, I never, you know, right? So so for me, for me, I don't think it's necessarily karma, but I do have a spiritual aspect to it that I like to share with you. <clears throat> I mean, just and asking, do you think that you know that, you know, drug dealers especially dealing drugs to the black community and you think the guys that are carrying guns, you know, illegally, and you think the guys that are out, you know, conducting themselves in in this drug advocate adventure, I I I listened to your story, and one guy got fifty years. He didn't shoot at nobody or kill nobody. He got fifty years for just dealing drugs. Are you saying that drugs should be a sinless crime? Like nobody should go to jail? That they're not doing nothing wrong? That's what you're saying. No, no, not- Hey, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. And what I'm what I'm actually saying is selling drugs ain't murder. 
And people that sell drugs need not be doing all those sentences, just like people that do drugs. Now, we know that mass incarceration is a real thing. A lot of people, and I, I really implore, you know, everyone to read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, where we went from people of color, we went from the black calls and being discriminated, a.k.a. Jim Crow laws and things like that, to sharecropping, right? Mm-hmm. Sharecropping and this new type of uh, prison, you know, economical system and then we got pushed you know when uh civil rights and the, and the voting rights was passed by you know martin luther king so now we supposed to be like in this free society however our neighborhoods and communities are pillaged the most and we got the most unemployment and it's not because of our design and then you have this system that systematically pushes people of color and poor people into prison. So now you got all these conditions that's happening or whatnot, and it's it's, it's wrong. So now what's going to happen is we're going to blame the victim. So don't get me wrong. I take full accountability for who and what I was into. However, I got to put it in context of the bigger society and what is really going on, or we're going to continue to blame victims and not blame catalyst of it all you know people who got money people who don't care about you know the people in the communities so you see me as a little drug dealer right i'm 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 laying at the bottom uh, of the totem pole what about the opioid epidemic what about all that oxycontin and all that stuff that was distributed out here in america Mm -hmm. by pharmaceuticals because they said they was legal now we got a opioid problem, right? Where are they at? So mm-hmm. when I hear your question, I'm not mad at you, brother. And that's a real thing. That's mm-hmm. something we need to hold each other accountable. But at the same time, as I hold myself accountable, let's look at the bigger picture so we can, you know, kill it from the root so we can make better fruit. I mean, I, I, I love that the way that you said that statement. And I mm-hmm. do believe the kill it from the root to make the better fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, hold accountability is something that I definitely hold in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I bless and then seeing the man that you are now, my man, and the thing that has happened. And honestly, I feel like it was needed for you to sit here and go in, whether it was supposed to be for jail or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the things that are just going on from what you was doing, and it didn't seem like you would be deterred from your path. Just me from coming on the outside and speaking in on that. Um, oh, you have become I'll a better uh, influence of the black people than what you were like before before you was not helping us now you are so it seems like that was something that needed to happen and and, and that's why that's why i say not the karma thing but i will go as far as to say i think it was spiritual i think that you know we have something that's in us that's great you know when we born you know in this country and it's a lot of things, the system and everything knocks us down. This is why, man, a lot of brothers, man, by the time they turn to age 30, they defeated. They mind ain't gone. You don't see too many people, man. And I got this from my man Tupac. 
on the Kendrick album. You know, I rock out with Kendrick on that How to Pimp a Butterfly. And even from his grave, he challenged me because I'm 47 right now. And I'm going to tell you, man, I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk, right? Mm -hmm. I talk big shit and I can bag it up because I do my studies. But when I look around and I look at my brothers and my sisters, you know, particularly men of color, they beat down by 30. They defeated. They're like, man, what can we do? I can't even do nothing. Mm -hmm. Jail to sell dope. But really, you know, we control the narrative, right? So my thing is, that's that was my thinking back then, the young Leon Benson, you know, the guy from Michigan, the guy who was groomed, you know, in the ghettos of Flint in Detroit, Michigan. So that's that's where I was. I'm like, this is my only way out, you know. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the most high, which I call the most high Yahweh, because I'm a practicing Israelite, and I found, you know, my spirituality while I was in that, in that, right? Right. And I feel like the Father set me aside, mm -hmm. set me aside, and I sat in there in that cave for 25 years. And when I sat there, I just became stronger. I looked around. And I was like, man, why my mind ain't messed up? Why my spirit so strong? Why do I still keep my art? Why mm -hmm. do I do this? You know, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know what? It's bigger than me. You know, it's a higher power, the creator, in which historically and culturally, I like to call Yahweh. And I feel like the original people in Torah are people of color. And I believe that the people in North America are descendants of the lost Israelites that scattered around the globe. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear the strength in which you're coming from, man. And I, I'm, you know, and don't be devil's advocate again, bro. I'm just telling you, it's once again sounding like you was a man off on the wrong path, mm -hmm. going on the wrong stuff, breaking us down as people, drug dealer, killer. This is well, drug dealer, shooter. I'm not going to call you a killer. Drug dealer, shooter, hanging out in the area. Uh, it's the same sense in which I feel like a lot of us have lost the thought of when when you're in high school, when you're a kid, and you have and, and you have uh, your brother or your friend, they do something bad, and the teacher or your parent says, well, we're going to punish all of you guys. And we lose <coughs> the mindset of hanging out and doing the stuff and the responsibility of when we out there in that stuff. Like, you was that guy, bro. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, bro. I feel you needed to be locked up. Before this shit happened, no, you did not do the crime. I listened to it. I, I agree with it 100%. No, you did not do it, but you was not sitting here being something positive for us. You was not sitting here being something to help us. You was somebody who was in a circumstance of something very bad, and generationally so. I've heard that because of the fact that even your own mother was in this whole thing. You have yeah, been generationally yeah. so in this thing. So it is not something that you did not know, you didn't uh, have a greater advantage of, and I give you that. You did actually make the choice. There's a lot of people that don't go in the hood and also become scholars and also becomes LeBron James. What I'm saying is, is it looks like you did not have this mindset before. And when they wrote the paper down, this is me. When they wrote it down on paper of what it is that you went into crime for, that's when it became the problem. I, like I said, I don't believe it's for you, but I believe even you knew, even back then, you was a problem and you should have been going to jail. And honestly, from the stuff that you said, that was a blessing even to us as society and to you. I think, I think, I think when you go that far to say that, 
like like I told you, spiritually, you know, I was lost. I could have made some bad decisions, but to do that and say that I should be locked up and people should have been locked up. No, you should have been. No longer, but you needed to. No, no, no. This is, right. You say there should be no penalties? Is that where we're going? There should no, be no, no but, penalties? Oh, well, wait, but let me finish, brother. Okay. So, so, when you, so when you say that, when you say that, yeah, people that think like that, you know, because I know you talking for people, you talking for people that feel like that, and I appreciate that perspective. Mm. And in that perspective, you know, my pushback to it is, you know, hey, you know, you got people out there, lock them up, throw away the key. But what happened to preventing people from getting on the street corner? What happened to preventing people from feeling like, you know, they've been marginalized or things like that? See, these are things that got me there. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when we make this 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 Frankenstein that I became or this super predator that I was representing that you are characterizing me as back in those times. Let's look at it like this, brother. When you say Frankenstein, who are we talking about? The monster or the creator? So when you sit back and you call me a nigga, a thug, super predator, I must look like my creator. And who is my creator? But America and people who got money and who are greedy mm -hmm. and people who don't care about the common folk in this country. Yeah. And so that was from your know, spawn from you felt they didn't care. So you didn't care back. Well, we, we, we got to go through our trial and tribulations, brother. So here's another thing. Just because I went through this, it's a lot of people that went through this. They don't change, man. So it's something that's inside you that you got to do it. It's a lot of people that's that's innocent who are who are in prison, doing drugs, gang banging, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So Well, I, I got a know, question. No disrespect. I got a question. So do you feel that you would have changed if you didn't go to jail? It was it was a it was it was it was a possibility that I that I would have. I mean what percentage out of a hundred? You thought I think it's like it, Maybe three. We talking about some right? like like some. 50, right? Wasn't you the guy shooting at people already doing this? Wasn't you that guy? Nah. You never shot not, at nobody. Not, not, nah, nah, not to that extent, brother. You never I shot at no. I didn't. What what extent is it? What so, what what, what extent so, do we so, go for shooting at people? So Did you shoot at people? My thing is this, brother. And I'm and, I, and I'm saying that's so intentional because of everything I went through, I want you to understand. The gravity of what you're saying, you know, with one of your brothers that walked up out of there and you, you corner me up with these questions and you say this. Now, I know I got to continue with white America. That's what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. But while we sitting here, while we sitting here and doing it, you know, that was a pass. Mm -hmm. And I would say this. I would say this. Why would we give up on ourselves and say, shit, I would have been dead. I would have been in jail. When you got other examples, you know, my brother went to the Navy Academy, though. He made another choice. Maybe mm -hmm. I could have bumped into a brother like you, and you would have been like, you know what, Leon? Man, you don't even got to sell dope. You're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. All those opportunities was out there. But let me tell you the key thing, and this is self-accountability as well. You know, when we don't have that vision mm -hmm. to see things, we won't see opportunities in our face. So I was the ego, but I thought I was a chicken. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of brothers out there. They don't know that they really egos, they pharaohs, they kings and queens out here because of their miseducation and ignorance. It'll make them look like that. And I was a product of that. Mm-hmm. However, after I was confronted with it, because I could have laid down like anybody else, I could be out of this situation and be really bitter. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But you see, I'm not bitter because I seen a purpose in it. You asked about karma. I said, no. Nah. But for me, I feel like I was set aside because Leon Benson was bigger than selling dope. Leon Benson, you know, had some, you know, bigger. And when I was out here in the streets, when I came around, man, I made people smile in the ghetto. You know, I stopped a lot of fights. After and that. I, I fed people, right? I'm talking about within it, all the way through. So now as I get out, as I get to coming into prison, I find myself, ironically, mm. in this bad situation, right? So again, you got people out here, and I'm going I'm to I'm be real with you, bro. I come out here, and I see people, man, they broken. My people are out here broken, mm. not just in, in, in Detroit, all around the country and around the world. And I'm like, damn. And I see now that I'm a symbol now of that person that was like, look, I went through the worst conditions that you can go through. And this is what I turned it into. We got that power. Now, my thing is, I need to turn back instead of locking up Leon Benson or putting Leon Benson in a graveyard. See, I go back and I try to find Leon Benson and say, hey, bro. No, you don't even got to do that. So what happens for us that can't go back? What do we do for the the guy who's currently doing that? For the the guy who's currently selling drugs, but he has the potential to be something. Who currently shooting the people, but he got the potential to be something. Do we not put them in jail? Do we not incarcerate people? What is the answer, my brother? His story just brought tears to my eyes because it's like, oh my gosh, he was in prison for 25 years. And I feel like he should have been. So so look, so look, I draw the line too, because you are also, you know, you know, and, 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 and what you're saying, you put me in a position as if I was a killer before I came here. I didn't say that. I said he was a drug dealer who's carrying, who's carrying uh, unregistered weapons, who is shooting at people. Uh, whether we're individuals, that is called intentional murder or brandishing threat. These are the things that those are called. Or assault, aggra- aggravated assault. I see that you are a man that's doing these things as well as you are doing stuff that is dealing and contribution to people who are of lower income. So you are, t- are, are in that environment. In that what's called Lewis Vietnam. You in that area where people are killing and destroying other people. So you in a war zone. And you knew you was in a war zone, right? Yeah, to a to a large to a large extent, like everybody else. But to your question, to your question, I tell you this: I didn't invent drugs. A drug dealer ain't no killer. Let's stop this shit where it come in at. And then on top of that, you know, because we rock out with the Panthers. And what's going on, because I'm from that pro, that proletarian, that lumping proletarian class, or the ones who, who are not 
in the workforce, the ones who are not in the system. And that's where the Panthers come from. The Panthers, man, they want to recruit it, man, from the worst to the worst and got these brothers. And I'm going to tell you this, what the Panthers did too. When you got brothers, when they say, bro, stop selling dope over here, kids over here, bro, put that gun down, don't do that. And they don't do it, we kick they fucking ass. That's what we do. Or they go to the graveyard or where they need to go. Now, now that sounds like black excellence. In retrospect, with what you're saying, what I want you to what I want you to see is I'm not mad because I've been on trial for 25 years, brother. But be aware when you make these statements. Let's not defend our oppressor by proxy. We need to hold everybody accountable. And these things, this struggle is not something that can, if you take one drug dealer off the streets, we know that with the imaginary war on drugs. Mm -hmm. It was a war on people of color. Mm -hmm. It didn't do nothing with the crime. It just put more of us in prison. But now, since meth and the opioid thing going, now they got programs in prison that you can get out. Because, you know, it's affecting, you know, people other than uh, uh, people of color mm-hmm. from the Latino and black communities. So we equally got to hold each other accountable and keep in our mind that this struggle is, protra- is protracted. That means it's not going to just happen overnight, but we got to make a consistent a consistent effort to try to bring forth the truth and to hold each other accountable. How do you hold that guy accountable? You know, as you ask me, you know, that selling drugs and doing this, and hey, he don't want to, hey, he got to get out. He, man, come on, man, get on up out of here, man. So you telling me you, so you telling me you not, you, you not telling the, the youth. You not so you are you or are you not telling the youth to go ahead and do you you go ahead and deal drugs too? You go and deal cocaine and the meth too. Is this is this what you think is cool and we all should be doing that or what? What's what's your mind on this? Oh man, it's obvious. You know, hey, what you asking me? So we fall into this because for me, I, I don't believe. I never believe we should fall into this system. I never believed right. it is acceptable. When a lot of people I know that came up in, in the lower income areas in the hood and shit too did not have had and not ever use it as a choice. And we don't give an excuse on why we didn't. So I'm asking you, is this okay? Is are you advocating this for my children, someone else's children, oh. your grandchildren? Is this where they need to start too? Well, 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 I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, you six, you asking me a question like I am, but I felt like it was really rhetorical from you already heard the Black Panthers bill and what well, we need to get people like that about our community at this point and run our community. So absolutely no. Why would you sell this poison, right? I mean, once you know, see what's different though, brother? Like, imagine if some of those brothers and sisters didn't get help. Who will really help? Ones to go in there to stop this, to do it in a way that could be conducive to peace and harmony and wellness. So, of course not. We don't want people killing each other, not only in our neighborhoods, mm. but around the world. See, it ain't just about us. It's a human thing, too. So we need to appreciate humanness, the mm. humanism of it all, you know, to to care about your fellow person and sometimes man you know when we be out here and we get caught up in hey, hey, is America on the line is America on trial for telling us uh, you are somebody because you got a car because you got things right mm-hmm. are we doing that to create this mentality right 
Mm-hmm. So we need to equally put all these things on the line, right? Other than that, who you with? Because you know who I'm with, man. I rolled out there with the people, right? Ain't nothing but, man, divine, man, prophecy and everything, man. Stepping up out that prison like that. You mm-hmm. run my place, man. When I was up in there, I went gang banging and stuff, man. I was in there teaching people, man. I had to wake up. So- Some people don't get that chance. So my thing is, how can I create, how can I correct some of the past things that happened, you know, in the past or whatnot with my own actions and with the actions of others? Yeah. What can we do? Well, what, that- what's the solution? What's going to be the ounce of prevention yeah. that prevents a ton of cure? Well, that brings me to my other question. So like what, because you mentioned your teaching and stuff. What are some of your greatest accomplishments since you, you know, got out of prison? Like what are you working with programs or the youth? Like what What are you, what's Leon Benson doing now? Uh, I'm doing so many things, you know, I'm doing so many things, you know, uh, uh, I definitely want to get Buddha Badass, you know, out here, you know, in the D, man, and see, man, what Detroit is doing, right? Detroit, wonderful place, you know, Detroit get a bad rap because okay. of its blackness, yeah. right? They like, oh, it's, it's this and that, because do you know what it represents? It represents, man, the mecca of black excellence. Mm-hmm. That's what it represents. So every time with some anything that go wrong with the D outside the D, it look bad. But I'm going to tell you, when I came here, number love, I see a renaissance in the city. I see people coming together, man. I see a new hipster culture that's emerging, man, from the art community. So mm-hmm. I've been involved in that. So when I got out, you know, I, I got involved with uh, organization uh, Exonerees here oh. in Detroit. It's, it's a group of Exonerees, the only group of Exonerees that got their own organization, and they doing their thing, man. They going back into the prisons. They helping out with cases. They giving us resources so we can really, you know, reintegrate back in society, mm-hmm. you know, as returning citizens. As well, I work with IDLC Watch. That's oh. down in uh, 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 Indiana. IDLC Watch is another. It's a watch. It's a watchdog group uh, about the conditions in prison, and also it's a reentry program that that's helping the families of people formerly incarcerated and ones who are incarcerated and they doing big things. So I'm still with them. You know, I advocate with them, especially for the Pendleton too, mm-hmm. uh, John Cole and uh, Christopher Trotter who, who were in a riot in 1984 to save one of their fellow prisoners. And in a riot ensued, nobody was killed. You know, oh. a couple of bruises or something, but they gave these guys like 300 years for stepping up for their fellow human being. So we've been really pushing that. Also, I am, you know, currently I'm the I'm the development outreach coordinator for oh. Die Jim Crow Records, right? Wow. So, yeah, so what I do, you know, I talk to people all walks of life. And, you know, much like, you know, Buddha the Badass was talking about uh, in them times when I was in the ghetto. Let's Let's say this, brother. Sister, you know, the ghetto is in your mind, and ghetto is it, it's for separation. So when you got your mind ghetto separated, is a Jewish word. you can't speak, you can't even see, you know, other people. Yeah. So, ironically, I went to isolation, and my mind became open, and I'm able to talk to all people, all walks of life. So that's what I do 
at uh, uh, Die Jim Crow Records. You know, I'm also an artist. You know, my mm-hmm. debut album was, was, came out. I want to let you know you that know? For, for Buddha, Buddha, Buddha grew up in Richmond, and Buddha, Buddha was it was known and 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 came into a good amount of relationships of people in Oakland City and, mm-hmm. and of knowing of that. So I'm very aware of the Black Panther movement, very aware of being the woke movement for black people and the things that's going on. Buddha was there on the stand when it was in Oakland. We were sitting there doing uh, the stand against Black Lives Matter on the bridge of the Bay Bridge. Buddha's very aware. Uh, Buddha just is looking at things that are that is influential for black people and not so good for black people. And when we're talking about, oh, will this praise a cocaine dealer? I'm just saying that Buddha is not well, that that is that bar. Well, Who he is now, I say, let's stand behind. I think it's amazing. I mean, I've, if I did 25 black, years, none of the Black Panthers dealt any drugs. But I'm like, if I did 25, so you keep bringing that up as if you're doing the same movement as if you were before, but as you were the same as them, but you were not. No, 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 no. I like, like, like when, when we when we conversing, you know, it's a thing. Like, like I can uh, I can ambush you. And say, so what do you mean, brother? Like, you was out there, man. Uh, what was you doing? You was standing before that. Like, you know, that's kind of like the stance you you, you, you take. Because I, I gave you the foundations of where, you know, my new principles come mm-hmm. from when I go and do that. Now, back then, I wasn't that. But now, I mean, I'm 25 years removed. Mm-hmm. And when you come out here in this world, six months is like back in the day. So I didn't literally died and came back. Right. That's what I was saying. I was like, you know what? If I did 25 years in prison, I think I would just pull my hair out and just give up. So like the fact that you kept going, like that's amazing. But but here's, here's the thing too. This, this, this is what I want to hit home with you. Uh, 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 Buddha man is, you know, I'm not mad at, at how you did it. It's cool. But at the same time, I would ask that, you know, you give me the benefit of the doubt that the proof ain't in the pudding. Is in a practice. See, I ain't just come out here. How can I talk to you like this? That took a long time to do, man. That took a long time, man. This ain't no pressure, man. I'm a real diamond because I was doing the work while I was inside. I was like, damn, it's people hurting right next to me. What we do about these conditions? Mm-hmm. What do we do about this guy? He can't even read and write. So, you know, as I as I took a detour from some of the things I told you I was doing, let me let me tell you about some things that I did. When I was on the inside, you know, I was a mentor. I started, man, a program, Changing Lives Through Literature, the True Self Edition, where I had five Pacific books. One was Man's Search for Meaning. The other one was The Narrative of Frederick Douglass. The other one was uh, As a Man Thinketh, mm-hmm. The Alchemist. As well as, uh, I can't think of the other one, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> my, my point, my point, like with me being on the, on the inside, what can we do? So when you're in these bad situations and you can think, now, now you thinking different. you like, oh, you ask yourself the questions. When you're not trained to ask yourself the questions, you know, at an early age or because of your ignorance, you're not going to make informed decisions. So I had a chance to ask myself the questions. What can I do? Yeah. How can I be of service? And one of the biggest things that I seen was it was a, it's a lot of ignorance and miseducation that's amongst our people. It's a lot of spookism and things like that. It's a lot of brothers that come to prison. See, I was in the hip hop. So 
I, I wasn't like illiterate, but I was functionally illiterate to really how society really functioned. But I could read and write, mm-hmm. you know, I could rap, I could articulate myself. It was some words I didn't know. But when I come to prison, it was guys in there that couldn't read. I was like, man, and you got to think, like I'm dealing with the worst of the worst. Yeah. And I got to go through all their baggage and all their defense mechanisms to help them out. Like even to the point, like I'm going to get stabbed because I'm trying to teach this dude how to read. I got to make sure if how I'm teaching this dude how to read, he don't get so offended that he want to stab me. Like, uh, they man, be like that. Be, so I'm right there with you and I, I just want to let you know with the people because I'm speaking man to a lot of people yeah to a lot of people man that understand LB Leon Benson and they understand the work that I done while I was inside and now I'm continuing that work you know right now also you know I'm the CEO of 448 productions mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to drop, you know, my next album is is the Book of La V. Okay. It's a gospel album, right? It's a gospel album. And it, and, it, and it depicts, you know, my, you know, elevation and my path and my philosophical worldview of spirituality, of how I got to where I was at through Yahweh. So when you look in the Torah, you know, I want to point this out to you. When you look in the Torah, people of color... The Bible, people of color, that's us, all that. Don't don't throw it out. If it ain't if it ain't doing nothing for you and nobody in your community, throw it out. But if you sit there and you adhere to what's already there, not that new stuff that came around where they corrupt the words and all that with the religion. We talking about spirituality. So now I got that record. I'm going to talk to the people because I got the voice to say it. I'm authentic enough to say it. In some spaces... You know, Buddha, you can go that I can't go, that I can go that you can't go. But us as a community of common unity, we can reach all these spaces, you know, as a team. And what I'm going to do with that album, I'm going to reach out to the brothers and spark that thought in their brain, you know, about their spirituality. Like, who are you? Are you supposed to be doing that? Well, that's, I mean, don't you, you know... know Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, well, I think that that's, you know, absolutely wonderful with your album and everything. That's going to kind of bring me into my next segment. Like, can you tell everybody where to find Leon Benson? Because I want everybody to know where to find you, where to find your album, where to find your music. Oh, yeah. You can hey, you can find me on IG up under uh, EL underscore Bentley underscore 448. You also can find me at Lee Benson on Facebook and Free Leon Benson on Facebook. As well, you can look up my album, Innocent Born Guilty, which I recorded while I was inside, by the way, uh, uh, seven years ago. It's available now on every platform, Innocent Born Guilty. The reason why I named it Innocent Born Guilty, because just like what, what our what our brother and sister today, you know, they questioned me about. And I want everybody out there to know that this wasn't nothing hostile or nothing we was out there just airing it out because they had the questions that a lot of people had yeah. and we tried oh, yeah. to answer them. That, so is my, the that is my position that I'm in to take. Thank you so Ain't much. No for, you know what? Thank you so much for coming on. I like, I'm said like totally like you can come back on anytime. Like we really appreciate you. I wasn't going to, I was actually going to say something to you after the recording, uh, but you just aired it out on the recording. We'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah. Well, I, Ain't no question. And, and, and that's why I said I named the album Innocent Born Guilty because we all 
are innocent until we born into a situation, to a skin color, to a culture, to a religion, to a demographic. And a lot of times we get pushed in these situations. And yeah. then when we get pushed in the situations, it's like, why you do that? Well, this like, is so awesome. Well, this is so awesome, everyone. Well, we are here with Leon Benson, and thanks again for coming on. This has been amazing. Hey, definitely. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Hey, love to y'all. Love to all y'all fans, everybody that come through. You know what I mean? Hey, this definitely was not no hot garbage. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're a trash panda now. Oh my gosh. Leon Benson. Wasn't that so great? He was something else. He really was. And we talked to him a little bit, like, you know, like behind the scenes a little bit. And that guy just... could go on to a story. He would tell you and he would go in there. If he ever, if you need a defense attorney even. Oh, like, my gosh. He's so analytical. Right. This man will go into the details of what it is and yeah. let you know. And he don't take a breath. I think he learned to just breathe through his pores. Yeah. And just keep talking. Just go, don't even have to take a breath. Yeah, right? Because that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think he probably learned that in prison. And I told him, I said, he needs to give me an anger management class. Because I'm not super angry, like I was telling you guys. But I like if someone fucking disrespects me, I'm going off. And For he, the next hour and a half. Is that the new defense? Don't worry about throwing a punch. Just keep your mouth running. <laughs> 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 well, that was great. And do you know what we're covering next week? Girl, why do you do this to me? Oh, yeah, I forgot. So next week is a listener requested episode. So we'll cover that next week so I can give a shout out. You introduce this in a different way. So guess what we're doing next week? Yeah. It's a show about such and such. And yeah. Let me get all excited like, yay. Yeah. Instead of doing this, this is what you yeah, do. Yeah, because it's like, wait, you never know what we're covering. I never week. know. You're happy about murder. I'm not. I'm yeah. happy about money. Okay. Like Little Wayne. Right. And stock market. I'm well, you know, like that, like well, you Buffett. know, some people get paid to murder. So isn't that the same thing? I don't know them. <laughs> Girl, if they on the stock market, then that'd make me excited. Oh, if I could put some money behind a murderer, then I'd be supporting the hell out of them. Oh, my gosh. You ever go to Blackjacks and see somebody losing and you don't give two shits and you go to Vegas and you send somebody winning and be like, let me bet on them. Yeah. That's what I do. Or I go to the, you know, the slot machine. Supposedly, if you see somebody losing, you're supposed to sit down behind them so that. I heard that. I yeah. also heard that'll get your ass whooped. Not what? But you yeah, got up. You, you ain't finna whoop my ass. That. No, I didn't hear about that, but you got up the, from the machine, so nobody's supposed girl, to sit down. No, people will watch their slot machine if they get up and you just jump in. I forgot what's the term, term called. What? Like, it's called a jumper. I didn't or, know that. Or, or a hooker or, or, a, or a cherry picker. So, it's, it's, but it's the people that hover around. The people what? that are losing and then try and jump in and win. So what are and the waiting? And if you win, they attack your ass. What? So what's the waiting period that you're supposed to wait before somebody gets up? After Girl, I don't gets... gamble like that. What oh, I do know is up. I see somebody losing, I just stay away from that shit. I don't, I don't know. walk off. I, I sit but right down. I heard but... that if you jump right in, you could get attacked if you win. Oh. So I, I, was, I was like, well, I mean, honestly, because I sat right down. And maybe because I'm a cheap gambler, but I didn't win. I lost too. So I, I don't even know that's true. You lucky then. That's why nothing happened to you. Damn. But if you just sat down and hit an old ass lady with a blue wig because they never get that white shit right. They never <laughs> die the right way, but it'd be like glass <laughs> blue. What with color? Dove right. on you. What color are they trying to make that? I always wonder when they, when it turns blue. It's, what? Th- it's supposed to be like the cheap black. Oh, is that why blue it's blue? Or purple. 
Oh my gosh. From the white, because it's just so white yeah. and they can't turn it all the way black, so it goes blue. That's fucked you up. You an old lady with like that, like a neon blue <laughs> hair to dive in and smack you with her dentures. Don't you go in there and mess around. Oh, well, that you was. You saw a... what happened at the, the bingo hall. These oh, people yeah. going to be playing around, playing around. Damn. Well, I guess that was a good lesson for everything, uh, everybody until next week, Trash Pandas. So make sure you keep the reviews coming, right? We need five-star reviews. Yes, it is. This is yeah. a long episode. Yeah, it was because we Jeez. had a special guest, and he was so great. Mm. So it's worth it. So, yeah, keep the reviews coming, five stars. If you don't like it, please don't fuck up our ratings. Just email me and tell me you hate it. Or just go to the next place. Yeah, don't don't even listen to it if you don't like it because you're just going to fuck up our reviews, right? <laughs> She's vulgar. Now. Yeah. Um, and then follow us on Instagram, Hot Garbage Show. Send us a Gmail if you want to, hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. It's Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. Follow my TikTok, author Nisha. And take care. Watch your back out there.